How many of you have uh, realized that there's a general mood and sense when it comes to this uh, time of year? If you uh, step into the stores, for one, you're bombarded with it. If you uh, listen to the songs that are coming through the radio waves, or if you put on that channel anyways with your XM radio, all that, you're bombarded with the message. If you watch the ads on TV, there's, there's a general message that you get. There is an overarching mood that is encapsulating everything this time of year. Everything is stamped with this filter of uh, joy, splendor, festivity, pageantry, wonder. It's in the commercials, in the music, it's in the stores. These are the moods, these are the underlying themes of Christmas. That so many of us love and so many of us, frankly, long for and look forward to all throughout the year. That we get to celebrate and wonder. See the lights and the brightness and all the colorful wrapping papers and everything else that will come with it. However, tonight I hope that you understand that in the first Christmas it looked a little bit different than what we experience. It wasn't quite the same as what we've come to know in terms of moods and attitudes and filters and all of that. It wasn't stamped with all the joy and wonder that we see today, particularly in the life of some of the people whom the arrival of Jesus directly impacted. The mood was definitely not one of wonder and joy and all sorts of things. But rather, the common mood that so many encountered during the first Christmas was the mood of fear. Fear. Can you, can you just look at your neighbor and say, are you afraid of Christmas? Fear was the general theme and the mood of what struck those directly impacted. On that first Christmas night, many, most, pretty much all of the main characters of the Christmas story had to be told... At one point in time, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Angels visited Zechariah. They visited Mary. They visited Joseph. They visited the, the shepherds out in the fields of Bethlehem. And they visited them with a message that said, please do not be full of trepidation, doubt, uncertainty, worry. Yet in each of these instances, when the angel met with them, they had the same message, and it was, do not be afraid. Do not fear. All these years later, while joy and wonder and all of that might be what you guys have associated with Christmas, I think I'm pretty certain, pretty certain, that most of us might be able to relate with some of the fears that these people experienced. That fear has, at some point in time, made its way into our lives, has crept into our circumstances, has come into our home, into our situation. Frankly, you look around, there's much to be afraid of. And there's a lot of things that happen in our world. I have a feeling that all these years later, that we can relate to the many reasons why these guys feared that first Christmas night. And tonight, I, I just want to be able to briefly look at some of their experiences and unpack it and then see how we relate to it and offer you some encouragement. So if you're with me, say amen. Amen. I'm going to take a look at a video. We want you to just take a look at their stories as they're introduced in the Gospels.
main characters, groups of people. And that first Christmas night, when Jesus was set to arrive, the mood, the trepidation, the, the, the atmosphere, the filter was one of fear. Let's look back at that first Christmas night and take a look at some of their fears and how they translate to today. The first person that we come across in the Christmas story is, is actually not on the night, but it came well before. In anticipation of Jesus, and it's the man by the name of Zechariah. And the fear that this person encountered was a fear of unanswered prayer. And as I just say that, the fear of unanswered prayer, is there anybody in this place that ever had a prayer not answered? You might say, I can relate. And so when we come into his story in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we come to a person who is told, do not be afraid. And here's the context. It's an unlikely coupling of people who should be hearing these words. The priest Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, these were righteous people who did everything right according to the law of the land. And they served God and worshipped him in all of their devotion. This was a man who was a priest and served God vocationally. His wife was also of the lineage of those who would serve God, the tribe of Aaron. And this was a couple who were living with disappointment. Disappointment grappled and grappled with them in their home. For both Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they wanted something that they just did not have. They were longing for something that wasn't there. And that was for a child. Now, I know for many, hoping and praying for a child is a dream that's deferred, and it's a dream that's full of devastating disappointments until it's realized. And sometimes, sadly, it, it never is. So I understand that this is a difficult thing that some have encountered and families have grappled with. Zechariah and his wife probably passionately prayed for a child and, and yearned for God to, to deliver onto them that hope that they were so looking forward to. But as the years passed, I believe I can imagine, I can understand how their hope would have waned. We find that Zechariah is, is here in the beginning of Luke's story, chapter 1. He's faithfully going about his regular priestly duties. He is at the temple. It is his portion, his lot. He's been selected as the man to go and do the work inside the temple. He is bringing the incense before God. And doing his duties, when then he suddenly he's met with an angelic announcement. An angel of God appears to him and tells him something that is profound to his experience. He says to him, Zachariah, your wife will have a child. You're going to have a boy. And by the way, let me tell you about your boy. He's going to be a forerunner to Jesus. He's going to be the one who comes before and makes the way right. He will be a man who will be mighty in his deeds. And he will be called John. How would you respond if an angel showed up suddenly and gave you such a message? With your heart filled with expectation and yearning. And it's been years wanting that very answer. And yet it hasn't come. Maybe you've become a little callous to the idea that maybe this will never happen for me. And so Zechariah in that moment, he answers the angel, basically paraphrasing it. He's like, come on, man, are you serious? Come on, look at me. I'm old. My wife is old. Come on, really? Really? 
Come on, don't, don't set me up. Don't give me false hope. Come on, please don't say this. I've put that away a long time ago. I don't think about that no more. I'm not looking into that no more. I've been disappointed way too many times. And so when that angel came and he responded in such a way, something happened. The angel said to him that, all right, okay, because you're feeling this way, because you've responded in such a fashion, because of your doubt and disbelief, because of all of the disappointments that you just can't get over, here's the deal. You will not speak, Zechariah. You're a priest. You're a person who needs to minister and talk. You're sought after. You will not speak until the son is born. You can imagine him going home and his wife asking him how it went. You know, it finally was your turn and he did not, he could not answer her back. See, maybe some of us might be feeling what he was feeling at those, that moment. When the angel, you know, had showed up, he had to grapple with the reality. He spent so many times wondering and asking questions in his trepidation and his fear that his prayers weren't being answered. He, he could have been thinking things such as, Lord, I've prayed and I've prayed, I've prayed and I've prayed. And are my prayers reaching you? Maybe perhaps he looked at, you know, maybe I don't have enough faith or obedience. What is it? Or even worse, maybe God is just not hearing my prayers or he refuses to hear my prayers. And in all of those things, it's easy for us if we put ourselves in his shoes and if we relate to our circumstances in life, it's easy for us to lose hope when our prayers go unanswered, is it not, church? It's easy to lose hope. We might think, well, you know what? I pray for God to fulfill this dream or this family or this career or this relationship. We pray for the freedom that God is going to come and break this addiction or this suffering off of my life and remove this pain. We've prayed that God will bring salvation to my spouse or my family members, my child. I've prayed for this emotional, this mental, this physical healing to take place. But after all these years and moments and committed prayer and intention, it still has not happened. And yet I'm left with disappointment. Sometimes we get a case of fear like Zechariah. God may answer our prayers, but then God may answer them in a different way, in an entirely different time than we expected or desired. And so here's this man who answers an angel because the disappointments were way too long and way too deep and way too real. However, we must not fear unanswered prayer. We must not fear unanswered prayer because here's the reality. God does hear. God hears, and to that, someone can say amen. Overcoming this fear, as Zachariah on that first Christmas, before the arrival of Christ, this man had to overcome this fear. And how do you overcome the fear of unanswered prayer? You overcome it with belief. Because Zachariah's questioning, because of what he was grappling with, it happened to, to, to end up in the situation where the angel told him something would happen to him. And he wouldn't speak. And that was the case. It's borne out in Luke chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. I know many of us might not respond to, to God in the same way like he responded to an angel. <laughs> we might not meet that epiphany or that moment, that, that revelation in such a way. But don't we at times, aren't we quick to question God's provision, his timing? Aren't we quick to, uh, to question his goodness or even, you know, what he is doing when he does not answer prayers the way that we want him? And the crucial question that we end up asking in these moments is, you know, what is it that my life has become? How am I living? 
Am I living what I believe? Am I, you know, do I trust God and his promises? In that moment, we end up questioning these things and we should bring this to our surface. Do I believe that God is always working in my favor and for my good? You overcome the fear of unanswered prayer through belief. Do I believe that God is for me, Brian Feria, and that he's working my good now? We overcome the fear of disappointment like Zechariah and Elizabeth when we choose to believe in God, not because of what is said in that moment, but what has he been saying all throughout? What has he been doing all throughout? Who has he shown himself to be all throughout? If we look at this book and review the record, I think we have much to base the foundation of our trust in. Amen? If we skip from his story and we look at another character in the Christmas story, that first Christmas, we find Mary. Just stop and contemplate her situation. And the fear that she might have been grappling with during that first Christmas, it was, was not the overwhelming joy of the moment, but the fear of an unimaginable purpose. Here I am, a young girl. When this young girl meets this angel, she is a humble servant. She is a girl, a teenager. She, the Bible tells us, was confused, shaken, disturbed, troubled. This is a girl who is concerned at what she just heard. What God asks Mary to do is something spectacular. It's going to change her life forever. Someone say forever. That's a long time, is it not? Forever. Remember, this young lady was engaged. She was a virgin. She was in love with this man, Joseph, and she was in dreaming of a life together with him and a wedding and what that would look like in her home, how she would build it and everything that would happen in her future, the children that she might have through this man and all of these things are in her mind, yet God comes in and he breaks into her perceived reality, her plans for her future. He busts into the scene, to the scene and he asks her, to do the unimaginable. Do the unimaginable. Hey, I want you, Mary, to trust me with the impossible. I want you to trust me with the impossible. If we were in Mary's shoes, we might panic. We might be, be saying, oh, my Lord, I have a dad, and what am I going to tell my father? I've never been with the man, dad. I promise. I promise you, daddy. I've never done it. I'm pregnant, though. Come on. Like, my little girl is only six months old, but I'd have a really hard time believing that. What will I tell my mom? Oh, dear. What am I going to do? Joseph, the man that I'm supposed to build a life with, what is he going to do? Is he going to leave me? People, what are they going to say? Are they going to gossip? What will they whisper about me? Yet Mary's fear, when we stop and encounter her in the scriptures on that first Christmas, when the angel came through and he shared what he shared, what she was questioning, the fear that was gripping her, it was not based on her reputation. It was not based on her relationships. It was not based on people's responses. Here it is. The only single thing, the technical question, if you look at chapter in the Bible where we find her story, and you find her there in verse 34. How can this be since I am a virgin? That's her only question. Her fear was not believability. 
but her fear was biology. It wasn't acceptance of what the angel had said, but it was the authenticity, not the participation in this event that is unimaginable and impossible, but it was practically, how will this be? How can it happen? It was not reluctance, but how can I be responsible to make this so? She knows that she has never slept with a man. She wonders, how will this happen? Unlike Zechariah, she does not doubt the angel's word and disbelief, but she is a woman who believes wholeheartedly in what has been said. She just wants to know a little more. It's not a question of if, but it's a question of how. She believes that God is more than capable, more than able to do that which he has spoken and what he has promised But she was afraid of how this would be borne out in her life. And honestly, I can't say that I blame her. Something totally supernatural is about to happen to you. It's going to affect your health, your body. It will impact you. You will be forever changed. I can totally understand, although not relate 100%. But I can understand her trepidation and her fear. Church, as we encounter Mary on this first Christmas, I want to bring it back to us as we contemplate and consider all that she was called to do. And that reality translates to us, what are we called to do? How do we deal with this grappling fear of unimaginable purpose because God absolutely has a purpose for each and every one of us. He has a plan and a purpose for each person. Life at times will get overwhelming and become difficult. We will face immovable mountains, impassable seas. We will deal with incredible storms and incredible challenges and we'll wonder at times how can God make a way in this? Have you experienced something unimaginable, something impossible, something that seems improbable and impassable. And we wonder the question, how can God, because he is who he is, he does what he says, his promises are true, how will he do the impossible in this? And in the Christmas story, God tells Mary, fear not. When it comes to the impossible, fear not. Whether you're facing the impossible task of raising a child with special needs, or if you're dealing with finding healing from abuse, or digging yourself out of years and years and years of debt, or grieving the loss of a loved one, I don't know what it is that you're dealing with. Maybe you're dealing with a chronic illness. God's answer to all of your fears and all of those impossibilities, his answer is, for nothing is impossible with me. Nothing is impossible with me. Has God called you to do something that in your moment seems impossible? Let me tell you, nothing is impossible with him. Be encouraged that you can come to the word, to the scriptures, and you can find that reality. When you're overcome with the fear of an unimaginable purpose, you can choose to accept God and trust in his trust in his plan trust in his promise trust in the fact that god has given you a plan 
to fulfill. But not only that, he comes alongside each and every one of us, and he has promised to equip us with power, equip us with strength, equip us with the resources, equip us with what we need, whatever that may be, that we will fulfill the purpose he's called us to. And that brings me incredible joy. Amen? What was Mary to do? Mary overcame the fear of an unimaginable purpose by choosing to trust in God and his plan and his purpose. If we jump from her story and we find her very betrothed, the story of Joseph, when we find him in the first Christmas as he's contemplating the arrival of Jesus, this message that has come through his betrothed, I'm pregnant. What we find Joseph grappling with is the fear of an uncertain future. Here's a man who has a fiance who happens to never have spent intimate time with him, and yet here she is pregnant. He's uncertain of what he should think. What am I going to do? What am I going to think? What am I going to process and deal with this situation? All of his best plans were now dashed. He loves this woman, Mary. He was envisioning a life with her. He wants to build a life with her and have a future, but what is he to do? Surely his reputation, surely his honor, his family, his synagogue, surely will demand a response. And here is a man who now is contemplating the questions of uncertainty. Can you imagine being in his situation and thinking such things such as, I trust her, I do, I really do trust her, but how am I going to weather public opinion? That's a noble, a noble man. Because many men would have said, I do not trust her. And now the question for me in this uncertain time is, will I be able to ever forgive this woman? Should I move forward with her and will I be able to forgive her? Maybe the question in his mind is, how will I be able to move forward in this day? Raising a child I know for 100% fact is not my flesh and blood. Is it best for me in this moment in time that I call it quits and I say no and I put this away quietly because it will be best for me, for her, for the child? I can imagine him dealing with all these uncertainties as he's considering ending the marriage, the Bible tells us. Altogether, an angel of God appears to him in a dream and the angel challenges him. Joseph was struggling with questions of uncertainty about a future he could not see, as many of us do. And when that angel showed up, he said, Joseph, fear not, this is the plan of God. You will have a son. You will call him Jesus. And here's the incredible reality of all that he will do. Stay the course. Many of us, though, when we are met with uncertainty in our life, I can attest to this myself, that we start asking the questions, Lord, am I making the right decision? What is the best course of action in this current circumstance? Lord, what should I do? If I make this choice, will I be shunned? If I make that choice, will I be ostracized? Where will I go? How will my life be like? What will happen in that moment? How will I be able to provide for my family? How will I be able to take care of my responsibilities? What does my future look like? Anybody ever ask those questions in uncertain times? 
More than ever before, I feel like these last several years, we've lived in uncertainty. We've lived where news has come in and it's not pleasant. We've, we've experienced life change and, and the paradigm of the world around us has shifted. And we have gone through unprecedented times of uncertainty. Many of us are dealing with that this year. Many of us are looking at that as we jump into 2023. Uncertainty is before us. Every day, we'll have to make a choice. We can allow the fear of uncertainty to grab us and cripple us, paralyze us, or we can learn to lean into God and do what he says. How do we overcome the fear of an uncertain future? Well, this is how Joseph did it, through obedience. Obedience will overcome this fear. Joseph listened to the angel of the Lord, and he heard the message loud and clear, and once he did so, he immediately put it into practice. He didn't fully understand. He didn't quite see everything as we will not fully see. Doubt colored his next move. Yes, it did. Yet Joseph believed in the Lord enough, and this man did exactly what the angel of the Lord told him. He did the next right thing by taking Mary and marrying her. I do, honey, and I take your son too. He continued faithfully day by day to, to lead his family to raise that child named Jesus, despite whatever was happening around us. See, church, the reality is that God oftentimes asks us to follow unknown paths, does he not? God often asks us to follow unknown paths and thus invites us into the realm of faith. Somebody say amen. God knows everything. And he calls us not to. <laughs> Knowing everything, by the way, that's a tall order. Who can do that? Details will remain fuzzy. All the answers will not be given. Plans will need to be revised. Changes will happen in our lives. Yet this is a final thing. No matter what happens, God has promised to be present. Someone say amen. Trust and obey in God. Believe in him. Follow after him because he is faithful. Corey Timboom once said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Joseph trusted and obeyed. If we jump to the next one, because there was four do not fears. There were more fearful people, by the way. If you look at Herod, he was quaking in his boots, but we're not going to talk about him tonight. If you look at the next group of people at that first Christmas story, we come to the actual day of his arrival. And on that day, there were shepherds out in the field. And the fear that they were grappling with was the fear of unexpected news. The Bible doesn't mention their names or how many of them were there. But we know from the scriptures that there were shepherds out in the fields of Bethlehem taking care of their sheep. These men had a routine. They, they would put their sheep to, to graze during the day and the night. They would encamp out there in the fields and they would probably play cards. They would probably tell songs and, and sing songs and tell jokes or whatever it may be. They might, you know, try to, to catch some Z's, but they had a routine and they had it down pat. And on this night, these humble shepherds, these common laborers working the night shift, they found themselves in the middle of the Christmas story where the angels burst out in their midst and they shared the news of Christmas. 
If Zechariah, Mary, and Joseph responded with fear at the appearance of just one angel, I can imagine the fear and trepidation of these group of shepherds when they not only saw one angel, but they saw a choir of angels singing praises in the heavens. Imagine that. These men have never seen artificial light, okay? They've never been able to see a light or a light switch. When it's dark at night, it's dark. And then all of a sudden, there comes this burst of light. This crowd of angels singing praises to the news. And they hear the good news of the kingdom. I can imagine them being afraid. But their fears are not related to just the scene. Their fears are considering something has shifted. There is a message that is here that is unexpected and things are now different. Fear not, for behold is what the angels said to them. In other words, hey guys, I know I just came through. This is unexpected. This is nuanced. You've never imagined this before. And now there's a new reality. But fear not and behold. In other words, look at what we're saying. Hear what we're saying. Look at what might be frightening you right now. Look, because beyond this thing, if you just look, you will not need to be afraid any further. If an unexpected appearance of angels struck fear in the hearts of these shepherds, the message of good news to all people through a Savior, Jesus Christ, being born a helpless babe, that would have changed and brought perplexion into their hearts as well. Anytime God shows up on the scene, we know that he shows up and he says some things and things change in our circumstance. No, As we look at the Old Testament, every time he showed up before, It brought fear into people's hearts because God was terrible and mighty, wondrous and totally different. It reminded people of how separate they were from God and how different they were from God and how unholy they were and unworthy they were and how separately above them God was himself. And so these men are now afraid. Why? Because the news has arrived that God is among you. He is here. Yet this new radical news will be something that you no longer have to be afraid to look and behold. What we are showing you shall bring you joy and great peace for all men on earth. And it's no wonder that in the Christmas story, after hearing those angels and the choir and all that stuff, the Bible tells us that those shepherds, they hurriedly went to witness what the angels had said. They went to find the baby lying in the manger, wrapped in cloth. And despite their fears of the unexpected announcement, these men embraced that sudden unexpected change. They needed to see it for themselves. They needed to behold him, this Savior that would bring peace to the world. How do we overcome the fear of unexpected news? They did it through courage. How do you overcome it this year? through courage. It takes courage for us 
to look at this fear of what is unexpected and unknown, what has come into our world and burst in and changed everything in our lives, how do we deal with it with courage? The angel's message gave them courage to go. They went to see the baby. They encountered it. Not only that, when they witnessed him, they were marveled at it. And then they started proclaiming the good news to everyone they came in contact with. They shared the message of the good news when they clocked back in at work. And they went back home to see their families. So they hurried, it says in chapter 2 of Luke. They found her. See, they saw him. They spread the news and all that wonderful stuff. Church, I just am encouraged tonight to know that we have a recourse and an action plan when it comes to the fears that we encounter. That we are able to overcome them and experience those incredible joys that Christmas brings us if we just move past the fear that might be there. Although we may not encounter an angelic choir of angels singing and proclaiming in the night sky. Has God showed up unexpectedly in your life before, though? I know he does. He often shows up in our lives in ways that we do not foresee and unexpected timings. And in that moment, it's hard for us to describe because it's different and unique to each and every one of us. But we know when it happens in those moments, it can be also scary for us. And we might be tempted to respond in fear. We are able to move beyond that, though. We might look in those moments and say, Lord, you've, kept, you, you've stepped into this world. You've stepped into my world. You've stepped into this situation. And it's in an unexpected way. I was not prepared for this news or to change or to deal with this. Why is this happening? Why is it happening to me? We could either become you know, focused on how unworthy we might be like some of these shepherds may have felt. Or how, you know, unprepared or how, you know, embarrassed this might make me feel or, or how, you know, difficult this might be. We might go into all those questions. We might think, God, I'm a nobody. I, how can I deal with this? How can I do this thing that you're calling me to do? How can I overcome this challenge? Lord, who am I? We may also go the opposite direction and we may feel irritated thinking, Lord, don't you know that I have a plan and a purpose? I, I had this thing all mapped out. I was going to do things this way, not that way, in this timing, in that way with these people and that situation. And God, what are you doing messing everything up, showing up unexpected like that? It takes courage to overcome both kinds. One courage says, I believe in God's grace. I believe that he's given us through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, the ability that I can be a broken vessel used by him, and he has a plan in my life. And we can overcome the other type of fear by saying that, you know what, I'm going to take courage and surrender control to God. To realize that although he is doing it in a different way, when God does his work and he shows up in my life, he does it in a better way than I ever could have done it myself. And so, Lord, I take courage in trusting that your death, burial, resurrection, that you living a sinless life and paying the price for me, Lord, I'm going to trust in your plan because it's better regardless. And this is the gospel, church. Tim Keller says it this way, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Amen. The most powerful message at Christmas 
is the message to fear not. I'll invite the team to come. Um, can, can we just, Rodrigo, if you're here, just come play the pads for us. I'm encouraged that we can encounter the joys of Christmas, the wonder of Jesus stepping into the world. And we can do so in the midst of a world that begs us to be afraid. There are wars going on today and plagues happening around the world. There is, you know, people getting fired and situations coming through in in our lives that we never dreamed would be part of our circumstance. But we can encounter every one of them with great hope. Why? Because God decided not to shout his love, his care, his concern from heaven, but he decided to demonstrate it to you and I by leaving heaven, putting on a suit of flesh, becoming relatable to you and I. When Mary kissed her little baby, she was kissing the very face of God. Can you imagine that? He did all of that so that he could pave the way, reconcile the breach, and bring us back home in relationship with him. I was reading and I came across the story of a Stella Thornhope. She was going to be all alone at Christmas. Her husband had died of cancer a few months before. She was snowed in her house, not feeling in the mood of Christmas. Although the joy, the wonder, the lights, and all that was happening in her neighborhood, she felt, what's the bother? I'm not decorating. Late that afternoon, the doorbell rang. It was a delivery boy, and he brought something to her house. It was a box. He asked her to sign for it. She did, and she asked, hey, what's in the box? The young man just opened it. Inside was a little puppy, full of life, vibrant, exuberant, a golden Labrador retriever. The delivery boy picked up the dog who was squirming and excited with his tail wagging and he gave it to the lady. He says, this ma'am is for you. He's six weeks old and he's completely housebroken. He's ready to go. Who sent this to me? She asked. The young man set the animal down and handed her an envelope and said, it's all explained in here. The dog was bought last July while its mother was still pregnant. It was meant to be a Christmas gift for you. The young man then handed her a book, How to Care for Your Labrador Retriever. (laughs) Some gifts come with instructions. I wish that was the case with kids. She again asked, who sent this to me? As the young man turned to leave, he said, your husband. Have a Merry Christmas, ma'am. She opened the letter from her husband and she began to read. It had been written three weeks before he died. And he left it with the kennel owners to be delivered with the puppy at Christmas. Her husband had admonished her to be strong. And he said to her, I'm waiting for the day that you join me. That he could say because he had found the hope of Christmas. 
that Jesus makes life eternal available to us. He had sent her this young animal to keep her company until the day they would be reunited. She picked up the golden furry ball of joy. Then she looked out the window at the lights and outlined the neighbor's houses as she's explaining to this little dog everything in her neighborhood. Suddenly she felt this most amazing sensation of peace in her heart. Her heart felt the wonder and it felt greater than it was the moments before. The grief that she was dealing with, the loneliness that she had been grappling with, it was no longer what was front and center. Hey, little fella, she said. It's just you and me tonight. But you know what? There's a box down in that basement that's got a little Christmas tree. I think we should go get it. There's also a nativity scene down there. Let's grab that too. These lights are going to impress you. This little scene will make you happy. Let's go get it. Friends, I was impressed by her story, how God has a way of sending signals and he sends things and he intervenes and reminds us that, you know what, there is something stronger than that. Something stronger than death. There is something stronger than the impossibility that's in your life. There is something stronger than the uncertainty you might feel. There is something stronger, bigger than the purpose you might have to grapple with and fulfill. There is something stronger. We just have to open the book and behold him. For he is Jesus. He has come. He is with us. He is for us. I don't know what you have dealt with in terms of fear. I don't know what you might be struggling with today and what your year is about to bring to you. I do not know what it may be, but I know this, that God is the answer for each and every one of those things. That he is able to do for you that which you are not able to do for yourself. That he has come and paved a way and he makes it all right. I invite you this Christmas Eve, before the fanfare of food and friends and presents and all of that, to take a moment and just say thank you for coming in the flesh to remove all my fears and bring me hope. Will you stand with me? Pray a blessing over you and invite you to go about your way like the shepherds did, sharing the news of great joy to all people. Father, I pray that you tonight would make the reality of your gospel evident in every heart. Father, whatever fear might be here, disappointments from times past, unanswered prayers, unimaginable purposes, God, things that you are calling us to do, and yet we do not know how to do so or what it's going to look like. Father, for fear of the uncertainties that will come in life and what to experience and what to do. Lord, we know that it wasn't just all music and fanfare lights and joy on that Christmas. God, I pray that you would help us, God, in the midst of unexpected news and challenges and uncertainties, that you would be present in every one of our situations. Lord, I pray that you would bless each man, strengthen each couple. Lord, that you would, you right now, Lord God, restore every child. Lord, I pray that you would bring your peace, your hope, your love into every heart. And let this Christmas be one that's marked by the great news of your coming. 
in a way that is different from years past. I invite your people to behold him this year, to behold the joy, the wonder, the splendor. Yes, the mood is festive, it's beautiful. And it was also at that first Christmas when they looked beyond the fear. So Jesus, we thank you. May your love, may your grace, may your presence be with each and every one here as they go from this space. In Jesus' mighty name. May God bless you and be with you. Go in peace.